We haven't played a game yet, but the word is already out that we've got some you know, crazy passionate fans, and uh, we can't wait to start playing hockey in front of them. You are locked on Kraken. Your daily podcast on the Seattle Kraken. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We are the Seattle Kraken. Hey, hey, what do you say, Kraken fans? Your host of Locked On Kraken, Erica Lindsay Ayala, coming to you for another episode of Locked On Kraken. We thank you so much for making Locked On Kraken your first listen of the day. And because you've done that, I don't know if you've seen on social media, but someone sent me last week the chartable rankings for hockey podcasts and Locked on Kraken was in the top 25. That is amazing. I'm so thankful that you've joined us here for this journey and the best is yet to come. But we're here on a Monday. We're going to talk, of course, good reads on a good Monday to get us going for the week. We are going to be joined by Katie Strang of The Athletic on this episode. We pre-recorded this. I recorded this before I left for Seattle for training camp. So we're going to have that interview with Katie Strang. And then at the end of this episode, I'll give you updates. We had the preseason game last night against the Vancouver Canucks. We had the first um, inter-squad scrimmage that happened on Saturday. And we'll get you ready for the rest of the week for the Seattle Kraken preseason, leading to the official start of the NHL season, the inaugural Seattle Kraken season. But first, let's take you over to my interview with Katie Strang of The Athletic. All right, Kraken fans, I know I said I was going to wait to the end of the episode, but I'm going to give you a little bit now. That's right. We had the first ever preseason game for the Seattle Kraken last night. It was in Spokane. We had we had John Forslund and JT Brown calling on Root Sport. Allison Lucan was in studio. I don't know about y'all, but I certainly didn't know that was happening. That was a pleasant surprise. And of course, the silky, silky voice of Everett Fitzhugh. When I tell you I was watching the stream and listening on the radio, it was fantastic. I have a few clips that stood out to me that hopefully we'll be able to talk about as the week goes by, but I have a few pre-recorded interviews for you. Katie Strang today, Woo! a two-part episode with Tara Black on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then we will get right back into the fold when it comes to the Seattle Kraken preseason. They have the day off. There's no practice today, Monday, and then they will hit the road for their preseason. And so we're going to get into all of that later in the week and certainly on social media. But I had to let you know, in case you didn't watch and you weren't listening, the first ever Seattle Kraken goal goes to Riley Shahan. After being down two goals in the first period, Riley gets the Seattle Kraken on the board. Morgan Geeky, the WHL product himself, ends up with a brace, two goals in the game, and the Seattle Kraken get the 5-3 victory over the Vancouver Canucks. We know it doesn't count, but it certainly counts for us. If you want to know more about my analysis on this, I actually joined Crosscheck, the Crosscheck podcast as part of the Locked On Podcast Network. So Mary and Andrew had me on. Uh, you can go check that out. And again, 
on social media and we'll have a little bit more in real time later in the week. But thank you as always for making the Seattle Kraken and Locked on Kraken your first listen as part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Hope that you're also listening to Locked on Canucks as well as the Crosscheck Podcast to get all of your NHL action. We're back, baby! We've got training camp, we've got preseason updates, and the best is yet to come for this Seattle Kraken team when eventually they will hit the ice for the first time in a regulation game for the National Hockey League. But for now, I hope you enjoy my interview with Katie Strang. We're talking Goodreads on a Monday. All right, Kraken fans, welcome again to this episode of Goodreads, which is a time and an episode when I bring in a writer from the NHL or greater hockey community, and we talk about some of the content that they put out. So we are very excited for this episode of Goodreads to have Katie Strang from The Athletic joining us. And Katie, your work is work that I absolutely enjoy. It's very different than some of the other authors that we've had here on Goodreads. So we're, we'll talk through that. But first, Katie, you have to do uh, what everyone when they come on the pod does. We'll remix it a little bit for you. But when did you fall in love with sports and sports writing? Really early. So I um, was a huge Green Bay Packers fan growing up and that, you know, I was sort of indoctrinated from an early age from my dad. And so him and I used to, I grew up in Michigan. So we didn't, um, when I was growing up, we didn't have the games on locally. So we used to always like go out to breakfast every Sunday before the Packers game. And then we'd go to a sports bar with like some other Packer friends of ours and we'd watch the game and we'd like dissect and my dad would like teach me stuff about sports and um, there was a really wonderful, like, local columnist in our newspaper um, who was a, a woman that I grew up reading. And so I, you know, you talk about sort of representation matters. Like, I saw a woman, um, you know, being this sort of, like, weekly feature in our sports page and figured that that was something that I wanted to do. So I would say like, I mean, as early as, you know, elementary, middle school, um, and had some sort of detours along the way, but, um, always wanted to work in sports, probably realized I was not a good enough athlete to stay in sports based on skill or talent alone. So found a different way in. Hey, well, that's fantastic. I mean, being in sports is exhilarating and thrilling and a lot of hard work, but we're glad that you're here one way or the other. Um, so I think, and I'm just curious. So the, this writer that you were reading growing up, what types of writing was she doing? She did prep sports actually, um, which I wasn't like super fascinated reading about you know as a, as a young kid right I mean I feel like most prep sports coverage like sort of caters to the athletes themselves and their families and their parents um and then she started like branching out and doing a bit more sort of like college and pro sports but I think it was more of the fact like less about the content that she covered in more just the way that she did her job and just you know seeing her excel um, on that platform was neat to me. For sure. And the reason I asked is there, 
there's a lot of different types of writing, just in general, of course, but certainly a lots of different sports writing, sports business, We're seeing a lot more sports betting. We've had Allison Lucan on who focuses on data-driven writing. But then there's the type of writing that you do. And, and here over at The Athletic, it has you as the senior enterprise and investigative writer for The Athletic. So can you just give us an overview of what that actually means? <laughs> um you know if you ask my daughter what that means she like just knows generally that means I write about bad guys um and girls uh so I mean yeah I would say the bulk of my work is in investigative work so um I I have done a lot of work on the intersection of sexual misconduct in the sports sphere um I've done a lot about you know domestic and intimate partner violence um, in sports, and I've done a bit more in the past year about um, sexual harassment in sports and or like toxic workplace culture in sports. So, um, you know, just given the terrain in sports these days, that's kept me pretty busy. Mm. Um, and there's certainly a lot of material. I, I would say 90% of the stories that I write now are generated by tips that I get from either readers or people, you know, around, you know, within the sports community who sort of know that that's my wheelhouse and, you know, sort of funnel tips and information to me accordingly. Wow. Yeah. And as I mentioned in the open, some of the topics that you discuss in your writing are very heavy and can come with, you know, trigger warnings uh, for a lot of different people. And, and they're very intense. And so I do want to ask you a little bit about how you process some of that. But first, let's kind of keep walking people through some of the bare bones. So you say that the work comes from from tips. As, as a lot of us in journalism know, especially with how quickly news makes its way quite literally around the world, there's a lot of care that you have to give to making sure that your sources are reliable or that um, maybe there's one part of the, the information or the tip that's right, but there's a, you can go a little deeper and maybe you find out where that's coming from. Um, because I think it's fair to say that someone with a tip and it doesn't have to be that they're trying to be volatile or anything, but they, they certainly have an opinion on, uh, arguably, they have an opinion on what they're bringing to you. So what's your process when you get, uh, you know, you get this tip, however you get it, email, you know, carrier pigeon, whatever the case is. And um, what what's your, <laughs> yeah, what's your process uh, after that? Yeah, so on any given day, I'm probably juggling, you know, in five to 10 stories. And when I say five to 10 stories, that sounds like a lot. There's probably like three to five that I'm working on pretty actively. There's maybe a handful more that are a bit more in sort of the passive stage. So like I've worked on them or I'm sort of gradually pulling string on them, but I kind of have to put them on the shelf to prioritize more timely, topical, pressing things. Um, but when I get a tip, like I sort of try to evaluate it by, you know, generally in these cases, like either the egregiousness of the behavior, um, how time sensitive it is, the like profile of the people involved. Um, and you try to sort of prioritize accordingly. Um, and then you sort of move into the next phase, which is you kind of start casting a net 
So you cast a net to determine, you know, just what I would call like making background calls to try to wrap your arms around um, a topic or a situation or an incident to see, you know, both how willing people are to talk about it, whether there's substance to the tip that you get, um, you know, the sort of other perspectives about the situation and, and who will sort of be your people that serve as your points of contact um, with this, not just with reporting the story itself, but helping to guide you to see who else to talk to. For sure. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you walking people through because I mean, it sounds to me and just as, you know, sometimes just putting together a a type of story for like a beat, like a beat writer type story, it can be pretty intense and it's a lot of organizing things and coordinating things. But then again, like you, you get all of this information on social media and sometimes you, you want to be first and, and run to get the tip, but you got to make sure it's accurate. So I I really appreciate, especially with the type of content or I don't want to say content, but the, the topics that you just discuss and the issues that you discuss, I would imagine that, you know, really nailing down those details um, and, and as much uh, factual information as possible is really important. (laughs) For sure. And, you know, I I've covered beats. I've worked as a national writer. Um, I've been like a general assignment writer. Um, and so I, what I generally tell people now is like, I work harder than I've ever worked before, but I, I write, um, much more infrequently. Um, so, you know, I don't, it's so rare now that like I will be writing sort of daily material unless it's like an ongoing case that has like sort of all these little like spinoffs and tentacles and follow-up stories. Um, you know, I, I write pretty seldomly and it's because like projects that I take on generally take, um, much more legwork and, you know, a very rigorous vetting process, often a legal review, So my batting average is not great. Um, You know, for every sort of like one story that you see that I publish, like there's probably five or six that um, have to either be sort of shelved temporarily or that kind of fizzle out. And that's sort of its own psychic baggage that I have to deal with. But um, yeah, that's kind of a give you a sense of of what the workflow is like. Wow, for sure. Uh, well, I, I definitely want to get into a little bit more of some of the stories that you've done that are hockey adjacent. And there's some pretty big ones uh, between USA Hockey and even just following the Arizona Coyotes. So that's coming up next on Locked on Kraken. Also, I don't want to let this segment pass without uh, highlighting and giving you stick taps for using the word tentacles on the Locked on Kraken podcast. (laughs) I wish I could say that that was intentional. We'll just pretend that it was. Now, does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the Kraken game live and another one that is streaming your favorite shows. You're watching sports highlights on your phone and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for all the other stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get your TV together and that's through Direct TV Stream. It is all about bringing your live TV, your on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch all your favorite sports, movies, shows, etc., all in one place. And that means no more juggling remotes, no more having to remember logins, and there's no 
annual contracts. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. And remember, a compatible device is required and contents vary by package. We're back again for our next segment of Locked on Kraken with Katie Strang. As a reminder, though, if you're not already following the podcast, go ahead and do that. We are at Locked on Kraken, and you'll be able to see some of this video um, over on social media. But uh, Katie, we are glad to have you back for this second segment. And we alluded to this a little bit before, but let's talk about some of the big assignments that you have done within the National Hockey League and also USA Hockey. Let's start with the NHL first, because I know that you've been following the Arizona franchise for quite some time. And, you know, we're, we're getting more information just on from the business aspect and, and maybe even how the business of Arizona is impacting their business relationships. Um, we're seeing some of that come to light yet again as we get ready for the 2021-22 season. So um, maybe you can just get us started with um, what was the, the first interaction and the first story that you had about Arizona and, and kind of how has it played out over the years? Yeah, so I I initially got a tip about um, some players who had not been paid out um, their sign contractually obligated signing bonuses on time, um, and so I, I had sort of heard some rumblings previous to that that there were some financial and disbursement issues within the postseason bubble from the season prior. Um, and so then I started kind of digging around and, um, you know, there were some other, you know, payments that were missed. And so it seemed like something that was possibly not an aberration. And so I wanted to try to get a sense of whether there was a larger pattern there. So as I began, you know, making calls and reporting that story out, what I was able to discern or what my reporting um, suggested was, you know, a wider pattern of behavior that involved um, a workplace culture that was permeated by, you know, fear and intimidation and, um, you know, I, I would say a real sense of paranoia as well. Um, and that, that sort of went hand in hand with a sequence of, you know, not just like financial miscues, but, um, patterns that emerge in terms of the team's business relationships, uh, within the community and largely like how, how they would handle, um, you know, mispayments, outstanding debt, and the methods by which they tried to resolve uh, those issues. So it was sort of like a wide-ranging piece about, you know, the workplace culture within the Arizona Coyotes and the many different manifestations uh, that that had, both from a financial sense, from a hockey sense, from an operational sense and from, you know, an internal organizational morale sense. Wow. Yeah. I mean, Arizona, we've seen over time has had some difficulty in a lot of those areas. And I think what's important is that while some people, and we know the stick to sports type will maybe kind of 
you know, scoff at reporting like this. But I mean, if you take sports as a business, the fact that there are all of these tensions, I mean, at minimum, that's really giving credit. But the if there's all these tensions, you have to assume that at some point it's going to affect performance, which of course includes on the ice, not to mention that we're talking about also athletes not being paid. So that's kind of like a big, kind of a big deal. What I will say though is, and I've had a limited experience in this as a relatively new journalist, but to what in, or, and I, I know that there's certain things, I would imagine there's certain things that you probably don't want to um, or can't get into, but just generally speaking for, for people who are doing journalism work and are talking about hot button or difficult conversations, what advice would you give when it comes to maybe some of the back and forth that you're going to have to have with leagues, organizations, and higher ups? Yeah, I think you have to, um, have a level of resolve in knowing that your work will very likely um, make people uncomfortable, prompt backlash, uh, elicit um, probably some colorful language and sometimes threats or, you know, sort of efforts of intimidation. That's pretty like standard par for the course. At this point, I've sort of accepted that as an occupational hazard. Um, but, you know, I think what always helps me is to really reflect on the purpose of journalism, which is to, you know, hold people accountable and especially people in positions of power, authority and influence accountable. Um, and that sometimes makes people upset. Um, but as long as you're being rigorous in your reporting and you're being, you know, fair and very robust in your, you know, search for accuracy and accountability, you know, your commitment isn't to a team or to a fan base. Your commitment is to the truth. Mm -hmm. And so that always helps me kind of strengthen my resolve. And um, you have to have a very thick skin, which, you know, I do. And, and that's something that has kind of accrued over time. Um but, you know, I, I always sort of feel better in the fact that, like, you know, I, I don't pursue a story about someone or an organization that I don't think deserves, you know, real scrutiny based on what my reporting reflects. Sure. And I want to get into, as I mentioned, that there, I would imagine, just as as, a, as another human being, are some things that, that you work through as well uh, when it comes to some of the, the topic area, especially sexual assault allegations. We've seen, of course, your reporting on Chicago, on USA Hockey, and unfortunately, we could name a lot other a lot of other organizations even outside of the hockey space where we are coming to terms with how this uh, sports business really deals with or doesn't for that matter sexual assault and so when it comes to those types of stories where you're hearing about sometimes young people that are sharing these stories of of at minimum not being comfortable in a system like USA Hockey or in an organization like Chicago, I mean, are there ways that you set aside your work as a journalist to maybe just kind of process what you're hearing 
human to human. Yeah, I, there are, I'm not sure I could probably be a bit better, um, at dealing with that than I am. I mean, it does take a pretty heavy emotional toll depending on the sub subject matter. Um, you know, sexual abuse and sexual assault is like a, you know, it's a very dark, heavy, traumatic thing. Um, and so I'm always like feeling very grateful and privileged that people trust me with that very personal and painful private trauma. Um, and so I try to approach, you know, with the attitude of like respect and gratitude, but it does like, I mean, it does affect you. It's, you know, you can only compartmentalize so much and, um, it's, you know, it's emotionally taxing to report and to write and to just sort of like wrap your head around, um, you know, things with minors is particularly difficult for me. Um, I have two kids of my own. And so that, you know, but I think I, I had a, even if I didn't have two kids of my own, that would be really difficult for me. Um, but that's something that, you know, I, I'm sort of cognizant of impacting me in a bit of a different way. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like I think a lot of people that cover this subject matter, you know, can expound about secondary trauma and such, and trauma can be very unpredictable. And, you know, one story that's, particularly gruesome you might be able to plow through relatively unfazed and then a, another story that seems a bit more benign can really impact you and sometimes it's really hard to predict which stories um will kind of you know rock you and and, and leave you in a bit of um a fog so um but you know like i, I try to <laughs> I try to practice self-care. You know, I have a wonderful therapist who like I unload all of my work stress and anxiety onto. Um, and she's great. Uh, you know, I work out, I like to cook, I spend time with my family to try to get, you know, like a little bit of outside perspective. Um, so yeah, those are the things I try to do to like, you know, deal with it, but it is tough sometimes. I, I really honor that you have a practice or practices that you're, you're trying and we are <laughs> learning and as a society, right, getting more comfortable with being upfront about um, ways that we really are, are trying to self-regulate, right, and, and just get ourselves back to a, a place and a space that's um, in our best interest and for our well-being. So I appreciate all that. But coming up next, I really would like to get into a little bit more of the work that you appreciate the most from that that you've written. But we want to take an opportunity for you to reflect on on some of the things that you're proud of. So we'll do that coming up next. Bet Online is back and better than ever as all eyes are on the gridiron for football season. And Bet Online is your number one spot for all pro and college football action. Now, with a new updated website, you have even more odds, even more props, even more contests, and everything else you need for the football season at betonline.ag. If you head to the website now, betonline.ag, you can use your mobile device, your tablet, you can use a laptop, whatever you got. And if you sign up today, you can receive a 100% welcome bonus for new subscribers that will double your initial deposit just for signing up. 
Don't forget, though, to use promo code NFL100. But we're not just talking football. Of course, they have hockey, basketball, boxing, and your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of everything available for the 2021-22 season. Bet online is your fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And we're back for our last segment with Katie Strang. Now, Katie, you were telling us a little bit about your process and self-care and just reflecting on some of the stories. But I do want to ask you, is there a story that stands out in, in, your, in your career? Something that um, you're really proud of the work and how it came together? Maybe something about the process that stands out? Yeah, there's one, you know, series that I did last year that I'm pretty proud of. um, And it was about um, a sexually abusive youth hockey coach, pretty prolific, like amateur hockey coach in the Chicago area, although he did coach um, in college as well. Um, And, you know, what I'm I think I'm proud of about that is it, it was a tough story to write like journalistically a tough bar to clear in the sense that you know he had not been criminally charged um and you know I I really spent quite a bit of time looking into it and really diving deep into the Chicago youth hockey community um and thankfully had like you know just so many people who were willing to help uh, navigate that space for me and, you know, be really honest and upfront and courageous about sharing their, um, experiences with that coach. Um, and I, I'd like to think that that has, you know, like affected some change in the sense of, you know, he is now banned lifetime banned from coaching. He's not allowed to set foot in a rink anywhere, um, in this country. Um, And, you know, I think probably most importantly, um, you know, I think a lot of his victims or survivors, however, you know, they personally see themselves um, feel much less like isolation and shame just from talking about their experiences. You know, you don't absent a criminal charge or, you know, a lifetime ban there. A lot of time you like don't really feel you don't really get many wins in this line of work, but one thing that I'm really proud about is, um, you know, there, there were a a bunch of victims in, in this one particular case, but there were two gentlemen who are probably 20 years apart in age, had never met prior, um, their abuse occurred decades apart, but through talking to me in, in, you know, coming forward in their respective stories, they were different stories. Um, they ended up finding each other and they have since joined forces to, um, form a nonprofit to help fellow male survivors of sexual abuse, especially in the hockey world. Um, so that's something that I'm just like tremendously proud of both of them for. And I I think they've both found like a real true calling and purpose in providing help and, you know, in infrastructure of support to others. Um, so that's like, you know, just one of those rare silver, silver linings that makes you that like keeps you going. Right. And I'm just so 
thankful to know both of them and, and, and really proud of the work that they've done and the work that they're going to continue to do. Wow, that's amazing. I remember reading that story and seeing, you know, how, as you were mentioning, like uh, over time, how much people have been impacted by this particular person. And again, your your work is usually very heavy. It's, uh, you know, not gonna be uh, one of those flowery, fun kind of storylines necessarily um, because of a lot of the topics that you cover. That being said, I think what I appreciate about the work that you do is that, again, and as me- media as a whole, we are responsible in, in part for this, but you know, there, there's not one way to feel at any given time. There's not one way to perceive uh, what you've gone through, good, bad, indifferent, or otherwise, in one way. And it's all about working through the process and coming out on the other side. And it seems like these two guys uh, were able to do that. And that's fantastic. And I I really appreciate your work. And even before I started covering hockey, because even from the outside, and now someone who's making my way into especially the NHL proper, there's a lot of work that has to be done in in a league like this, I'd say the same for baseball. Everyone who listens to the podcast knows I'm a massive baseball fan, but these are kind of your old guard um, type of sports. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And so to, you mentioned this point and I just want to glean it out again. The fact that you have people that trust you with their story and maybe with things that they have not disclosed in a long time or ever that's really uh, powerful. And I get the sense that you take on that responsibility in full and it, it's reflected in, in the work that you do. So I know I'm a, a big fan, hopefully our Locked on Kraken listeners and viewers on YouTube uh, were able to learn a little bit more about what it takes to do this type of work. But Katie, thank you so much for joining us here on Locked on Kraken. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, for sure. And we will make sure that all of our listeners and viewers can follow your work and look forward to what you have coming down the pike because it sounds like you're always working on something. (laughs) (laughs) I stay busy. (laughs) Well, there are worse things, but thank you again, Katie Strang. We appreciate you joining us on Locked on Kraken. Betting on the National Hockey League doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get podcasts. 